can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. There is something important for us to discuss today, and that is that it's our one-year podcast anniversary. Happy anniversary, Hannah. Life is going way too quickly. I can't I know. Can you believe that was a year ago? I just, what's changed in your life in a year, Joe? Nothing, which is really concerning. Except that (laughs) we've lived through a pandemic, so something's happened. Yeah. I think I said to someone the other day, like, if you told me a year ago that I would have an 8pm curfew, I would have laughed in your face. Yes. So Yes. I know none of us saw this coming, did no, we? No, we sure didn't. But to celebrate our one-year anniversary, we do have an Instagram giveaway. So if you are listening to this episode on its release, you can still go and enter that on Instagram. But if you're listening to this later, that's going to be over and done with. So um, you got to get onto it quickly. It's really weird because the one-year anniversary is also our anniversary of one million days downloads in September. Yep. So, I mean, yep. sorry, we've had a total of 1 million downloads. Yes. Yeah. Not per month. No. <laughs> clarify for all of the brands that want to sponsor us. Yeah. So we're working towards <laughs> a million a month. We'll get there. The, the listeners have just been our biggest supporters and yes. I can't tell you how. Uh, do you know what really strikes me as like with our listeners, the ones that I speak to on Instagram, Mm. they are so funny. Yes. They are our best friends. Like they're so funny. Also, I love that people tag us in like their birthday posts and are like, happy birthday (laughs) to my Hannah, to my Joanna. It's really funny. (laughs) Now, another thing that I wanted to quickly talk about today, something that's trending Mm -hmm. at the moment, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's beauty routine, which was on Vogue. Loved it. We must be on trend because we were talking yes. about AOC's beauty routine with what's on V's face in like two episodes ago. So that was mm-hmm. her skincare routine. And now we've seen her makeup routine. And what I absolutely loved, there was a few quotes, but the first one was, she said, there's this really false idea that if you care about makeup, that's somehow frivolous. Yes. And I loved how she just loves beauty and is just so unapologetic about it. Like you can be in politics and you can be a congresswoman, but you can still love beauty. Totally. And we actually had this conversation privately, you and I. You you said to me, like, you know, I feel like when I say I work in beauty, like men kind of look down on that in a way, which is... I think someone had said to me, like, don't put beauty in your hinge profile. And I was like, um, why not? Beauty's so cool. And they're like, oh, some guys might think that beauty is just what she said, frivolous. I don't give a what they think. By the way, I didn't change my hinge profile. I'm not yeah, that I'm not, I'm not that frivolous. <laughs> but what I also really loved about AOC's beauty routine is she's an Estee Lauder double wear girl. Yes. You know I am double wear all the way. Particularly she said yeah. if she's getting photographed a lot, and I can't mm. agree with her more. Totally. The other thing that I saw her using, which I'm wearing today, I think I spotted Maybelline falsies. Ah, oh, did you? Yes. So she's definitely bougie bargain. Yes, love that for her. And then the other thing that she did was she used vitamin C 
and SBF, and this was her quote, don't play games with sunscreen. You'd rather put too much than too little. Yes, love her. And she was contouring and then she was putting like shimmer on her eyes and like uh, I was just, I loved it. But I think my favourite quote of all was this one that I'm going to read now. People were sharing this on Instagram and saying that they were crying and I also may have cried. (laughs) Our culture is so predicated on diminishing women and preying on our self-esteem and so it's quite a radical act to love yourself in a society that's always telling you you're not the right weight, you're not the right colour, you're not the right, you know, whatever it is. And Mm. I just was like, I got a little bit teary because, yeah, I just just really related to it so much. So Mm. go and check out the video. It is on Vogue's YouTube channel. Amazing. All right. Well, what's on today's episode? (laughs) Why don't you do it? I always do it. Oh, okay. All right. You ask me then. Okay. I'll ask you. So, Joe, what's on today's episode? <laughs> on today's episode, we're talking about strawberry skin, which a lot of people requested. And then we are also talking to dietitian Millie Padula on basically just food in general and, of course, our products we didn't know we needed. This topic has come up quite a lot when I've done little polls and requests on my Instagram for what people want to hear. And that topic is strawberry skin, which if you don't know, it refers to the appearance of black spots that resemble the spots on a strawberry, but it's on your legs usually. And that's due to the follicles or enlarged pores containing trapped oil or dead skin or bacteria. And so I actually reached out to Dr. Phil Tong, who was on a couple of episodes ago, to talk to us a little bit more about why this happened. So like the blackheads on our nose, it's due to the oxidation process. So that's when that trapped oil, dead skin or bacteria is exposed to air and that's what causes it to darken. So shaving is usually what contributes to causing strawberry legs and I actually experience this myself and I find it really frustrating because then I put tan on and it looks even worse. Mm. But there is a number of ways to prevent it, which Dr. Phil Tong shared with us. So we thought we would run through them. Do you know, I've got a a little funny story. Yeah. Do you remember when we did that day where we came into the office and did the podcast artwork and we did that photo shoot? Yes, yes, yes. So yes. do you remember I actually waxed my arms and put fake tan straight over the freshly waxed skin and I reckon what? it was strawberry skin on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I not surprised? It was like, remember I came in, I'm like, Meti our photographer, I was like, what are you going to do? <laughs> like I had these like this red rash all over both arms. Oh, no. Well, the strawberry skin is different to razor rash, just FYI, while we're on that topic mm-hmm. um, of hair removal <laughs> because that's caused by trauma on the skin, which is caused by the razor itself. So that's usually from like an old razor that doesn't have the same sharpness that it once had or the products that you use after shaving or hair removal. So it's more of an irritant reaction on the skin and generally subsides over time, but that can lead to strawberry legs as well. So there's lots of different things like playing into this topic. But Hannah, we did ask Dr. Phil Tong if some people are more likely to experience it than others. And I feel like as someone with thick body hair, you'll relate to his answer. (laughs) Oh, yes. It is more likely experienced by those people with dry skin Or thick body hair. Well, that's definitely me. (laughs) That's both of us. (laughs) Like the length of my leg hair right now, I don't even want to talk about it. 
So as I mentioned, the old razor can contribute to strawberry skin, which I think has been the issue for me because what I did recently was that I tried a new product that will be ranging soon at a door and it's called Nara Shave. And it's like one of those single, it's a single razor that you put inside a little handle thing. I don't know how to explain it. Like it's nice looking. It looks like your traditional razor, but like almost an old school version, but because it's so sharp, it glides so closely to the skin. And I honestly have not felt my legs feel that smooth in so long. And I think it's because I was using a really old razor Mm. and I hadn't changed the head of it in so long. I don't even know how long. This is very unlike you. I know. I don't think I've changed it since I moved back home. And that was like over a year ago. So I've been using using a really blunt razor. No wonder I'm getting strawberry skin on my legs. But there are some topical products that you can use to reduce appearance. So the first thing is like update your razor if you can. This razor from Nara Shave is great. I am a little bit scared I'm going to cut myself with it, but that's okay. I'm, I'm getting through it. And also try to use a shaving cream if you can. I actually was using the shaving oil from Nara Shave um, and that seemed to work a treat. Dr. Tong recommends the use of an exfoliant on the area and then following that with a moisturizer. So if you're going to be putting like fake tan or something on anyway, usually when I'm shaving my legs, it's because I'm putting fake tan on. So I would usually be exfoliating the area before I shave anyway. And then once I've done my tan and washed that off, generally I would put a moisturizer on anyway. And then he also mentioned that AHAs and BHAs on the area will help, but just to make sure you're seeing a dermatologist first, just in case it is something else and it's not strawberry skin, you just want to make sure that you're not irritating the area. Laser hair removal can be really effective in reducing the appearance of strawberry skin. And Dr. Tong said he does prefer to recommend that over hot waxing or the use of epilators and things like that. So that's kind of how you can tackle it, guys. If you're trying to deal with it at home and you're not sure what to do, just exfoliate, moisturize, get laser if you can and change your razor because that clearly is what my issue was. Do you know with the changing of the razor thing? Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, I have a razor that I use for like my face when I'm doing like laser Mm. hair removal on my face. And Mm. because I like always forget and then I use it to do like my bikini line. (laughs) And then I have to change it straight away because I'm like, did I use this on my vagina? I'm like holding it like up near my face. I'm like, did I? I did I? So in a nutshell, today's guest is joining us to chat about food in general. Melbourne-based accredited practicing dietitian, nutritionist and founder of nutrition consultancy company, Dietitian Edition, Millie Padula joins us and that's also your Instagram handle, isn't it, Millie? It is, yeah. So if anyone wants to go and stalk you, that's where they can find you. Please do. (laughs) We're hearing a lot about immunity boosting foods at the moment. I know that particularly I have been in really bad junk food habits and Hannah, as we've mentioned in another segment, has also been having some bad habits. Can you talk to us a little bit about immunity boosting foods and how they work? Yeah, definitely. Um, In terms of the bad eating habits as well, I think we've all been there. Everyone I've spoken to is on that same train. So it's nothing to stress about where, you know, you're only human and it's a really strange time. So I'll just give a little bit of a background on, you know, what the immune system does. So essentially it's a network of tissues and organs that fight off pathogens. So pathogens are 
you know, what we're dealing with at the moment, COVID-19, anything that's really foreign to our body or that we don't recognize. So we know that um, through all the research, good nutrition and the food that we eat plays a really important role in strengthening our immune system. But what we actually know about the different types of foods and the types of nutrients is that they don't just determine which pathogens and virus we respond to, but also how effectively and efficiently we can fight them off. So before I talk about the particular nutrients and foods, I just want to reiterate that, you know, there is no one food or one supplement or one nutrient that is going to prevent us from illness altogether or ward off certain pathogens, but it's more so having a varied balanced diet that includes these foods on a regular basis. So I'll go into a few of my fave immune boosting foods and how they work. So one that I get asked the most about is vitamin C, which I'm sure you girls have, you know, heard a lot about. And even in terms of skin health, like it's, it's so important. But vitamin C is essentially an antioxidant. So that's where it gets a lot of its hype. Um, and it also works to stimulate antibodies. So antibodies are what our body uses to fight off infections. But why I love vitamin C is because even though despite what we might think about it, you know, reducing the common cold and preventing us from getting sick, it doesn't actually prevent the onset of a cold, but it can reduce the severity and the duration of that cold. Mm -hmm. So we're not necessarily sure on like, you know, dosages and how much should we be having, but my advice is just include those vitamin C foods in your diet. So we all know our citrus fruits, oranges, lemon, lime, grapefruits, strawberries, kiwi fruits. They're really great sources, but also um, tomatoes, broccoli, green leafy veg, got an abundance of vitamin C. So as long as we're including those, we should be getting enough. Go on to a few of my other favourite immune boosting foods, if that's okay. Yeah, no, we're open to hearing all about it. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of information. <laughs> Another topic I wanted to talk about was plant foods. So when we talk mm -hmm. about plant foods, we generally think of, you know, fruits and vegetables, but what I'm generally referring to there is anything that comes from a plant. So this is also nuts, seeds, whole grains, lentils, legumes. So okay. all of those wonderful foods that, you know, we often forget about when we're just talking about plant-based nutrition. But the reason that these are so important is because they nourish our gut and they help to create a range of different beneficial bacteria within our digestive tract. And 70% of our immune cells are actually found in our gut. So it sort of makes sense that, you know, nourishing our gut and bringing about all that beneficial bacteria will be useful in strengthening our immune system. And that can be where our pre and probiotics come in as well in terms of their effect. But the last two foods um, or nutrients that I just want to touch on in regards to immunity is protein. So, you know, it gets a lot of hype in the fitness and, and wellness world, but it's really important in terms of our immune health because every single cell that's involved in our immune system is made up of protein. So, you know, it makes sense that to strengthen those cells, we need to have adequate amounts of protein within our diet. And protein can be found in, you know, a lot of our animal products, but I try and encourage a lot of my clients and anyone I speak to, to increase their consumption of plant-based protein. So this is things like chickpeas and nuts and seeds, lentils, tofu, all of those great things so that they're feeding the gut, but you're also getting those protein benefits as well. And zinc is really important too, because it plays a, a role in healing, particularly wound healing. And they're also finding that anyone who's not getting enough zinc within the diet 
is experiencing a weaker immune system. So we can find zinc in oysters, which aren't my most favourite thing. I'm not sure about you. (laughs) Neither. Hannah and I don't really like seafood. (laughs) Yeah, no, not, I'm not the biggest fan, but it's also found in like chicken, um, beans and, and pumpkin seeds is a really good source as well. So I love to sprinkle some pumpkin seeds on my oats in the morning just to get a bit of extra zinc in there so yeah they're my they're my favorite immune supporting foods and, and how they sort of work mm-hmm. within the body joe i'm just reading the question that i've got next which was i've been on a real health kick in the last couple of weeks <laughs> which was true <laughs> until this week the last week i've had mcdonald's every night for dinner but i was on a health kick and i found that i was eating plant-based six days a week was plant-based with one day like a cheat day i just think that diet makes me feel like i've got the most energy and i just feel like you know my mood's a lot better so how does our diet and the foods we eat contribute to our mood and overall mental well-being yeah really interesting question and there's two ways that I sort of like to look at this question so when we eat better and I'm sure you can vouch for this Hannah and you just mentioned it we generally feel better so when we're filling our body with nutritious foods it doesn't just affect our mood, but it affects our sleep quality and our energy levels and our skin quality and, you know, our motivation, which we know all directly can affect our mood as well. And vice versa, when we're eating McDonald's or foods that are high in saturated fats and salt, our sleep quality is worse or our energy levels aren't great. And that in turn can reduce our mood or, you know, perhaps make us more anxious and and all of those sorts of things. So that's a, a general way that what we eat can affect our mood. But then there is, of course, the the scientific way of looking at it. So I'll break it down to try and make it clear as can be for the listeners. But essentially, there is a nerve that runs from our gut all the way to our brain. So it's a special nerve called the, the vagus nerve. So this is why what we eat and what we put into our digestive system affects our mood. So just to break that down a little bit more, 95% of our serotonin, which is a happy hormone within our body that regulates sleep and mood and appetite, is actually found in our gut. So, you know, before we were talking about our immune system and how a lot of those cells are found in our gut. Well, it's the same with our mood as well. So again, going back to nourishing the gut, being really important in the way that our serotonin or that happy hormone actually performs in the body. And one of my favorite foods in terms of mental health are omega-3 essential fatty acids. I'm not sure if you're familiar where they're found in the diet, but this type of fat is actually a building block of our brain. So what they're seeing in a lot of research is that the more essential fatty acids that you have in the diet, the less likely you are to develop conditions like anxiety and depression. These sort of foods can be found in oily fish, so, you know, our salmon and tuna, but also a lot of our plant foods as well. So flax seeds, linseeds, um, which are actually the same thing, uh, and chia seeds and walnuts as well. I remember hearing this so much when I was young. There's like the buzzword superfood. Whenever I hear superfood, I just think, I immediately think blueberry. I don't know why. (laughs) Really interesting um, and funny that you say blueberries because they're actually one of my top superfoods or just, you know, berries in general. And I think you've probably got that idea because of like, you know, acai berries and goji berries that we often hear here, you know, being associated with the word superfood, but essentially it doesn't actually have any definition. So there's no regulation or labeling law that says, you know, certain foods have to have this many vitamins or this many minerals to be deemed a superfood as such. So just something to be careful of. And something that I say to a lot of my clients is don't be too persuaded if you see the word superfood on a product, because it doesn't necessarily mean that it's nutritious and the company hasn't had to abide by any guidelines to give that food you know, a superfood status as as such. So 
You know, the foods that we eat every single day and that are part of our pantry are staple ingredients, are more so superfoods than, say, our acai berries or goji berries, kale, quinoa, all of those foods that get a really positive wrap in the health and wellness space. And what I look for if I'm, you know, calling something a superfood or telling my clients to include more of these in their diet is if it has really high levels of particular vitamins and minerals or if it's linked to reduced risk of disease as such. So tomatoes, for example, have a compound called lycopene in them. And what they're finding through the research is that people who include more lycopene in their diet have reduced risk of, you know, heart conditions and things like that. So, you know, if I was calling something a superfood, they're the two things that I would generally look for. Um, But there's so many superfoods that we include every single day in our diet, but because they're not glamorous or trendy, they don't get as much attention as, you know, our beautiful acai berries and things like that. So definitely, you know, aim to include superfoods, but focus more on, you know, just getting in whole foods and you'll be getting enough superfoods and vitamins and minerals altogether. And you mentioned um, prebiotics and probiotics earlier, and I learned a bit about the gut's microbiome and pre and probiotics when I discovered the Beauty Chef's Glow Powder, which I swear by. Yeah. Can you explain how the gut's microbiome works and why probiotics are so important? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So essentially what the gut microbiome is, it's, it's, it's a collection or um, I like to call it an ecosystem of bacteria that can affect our health both positively and negatively, depending on, you know, how much of a particular bacteria we have. So if we have more good bacteria, that's going to be better for our health in general. And when I talk about being better for our health, generally, the more good bacteria we have, people are seeing reduced inflammation and and weight management and better mood and stronger immunity and all those sorts of things. But essentially, when we're talking about, you know, healthy eating for our gut and you know, what do we want to include and and how do we make our gut thrive for better health outcomes? It it all comes back to to those plant foods. And and prebiotics are a type of fibre, which is what we find in all of our plants. And that's what we're trying to get an abundance of within our diet. So prebiotics, they don't digest very well in our stomach. So they move on to a lower part of our stomach, which we call the large bowel or the large um, colon, however you want to look at it. And they are fermented by all the bacteria produce these beautiful compounds and that's what gives us the benefits essentially. So you can also find prebiotics in things like onion, garlic, chickpeas. So you probably find, and this is what I experienced with myself and a lot of my clients is when you eat those foods, you know how you get quite bloated and quite gassy and you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That's just the prebiotics doing their job. So creating all of these gases that make you feel uncomfortable Mm, painful sometimes I would say (laughs) exactly yeah yeah and what I say to a lot of my clients is you know if the bloating is is tolerable that's fine if it does get to that really painful stage then it could be some sort of intolerance or a FODMAP sensitivity or something like that so that's prebiotics and then we've got our probiotics as well so the best way I like to look at it is prebiotics are the food for the probiotics so probiotics is just another name for live bacteria or live organisms. So prebiotics are the water, probiotics are the seed. And the more variety of different prebiotics we have in our diet, the more variety of probiotics we will have in our gut. 
And the more variety of bacteria, the better it is for our health. So that's really just a, a brief overview of, of how the gut works and why, I guess, nutrition is so important. And you mentioned on your Instagram that you don't encourage restrictive diets because they can lead to an all too common cycle that I'm sure a lot of us have experienced before. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So that all too common cycle I'm generally referring to is when we restrict a certain food or food group, um, we feel deprived. And then when we're exposed to that food again, we tend to binge or overeat. And, you know, I've been there. I'm sure it's something that a lot of us have experienced. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then when we overeat, you know, we feel guilty and we feel kind of crap about ourselves and then it all starts again. And this is what I commonly refer to as the diet cycle. So, you know, you've got all these really good intentions and maybe it's chocolate you want to restrict or carbs or chips, whatever it might be. You feel deprived, you restrict that food, the cravings kick in, your body knows what it's missing. You know, with carbs, that's one of our main energy sources. So if we're following a low carb diet or a keto diet, our body craves carbs, which is one of our energy sources. So that's all we think about and it consumes our thoughts. And then we give in, we might overeat because we've deprived ourselves for so long and then we feel guilty and then it all starts again. And, you know, for me and, and my philosophy as a dietitian is that we should be able to have all foods in our diet. I mean, food is so much more than just calories and energy. It's enjoyment and memories and, you know, all, all sorts of wonderful things. And, you know, restricting things we, we know doesn't achieve anything. 96% of people who undertake some sort of diet end up you know, regaining more weight than they initially lost. It makes you feel bad about yourself. It also generates a really poor relationship between yourself and food. You know, we become obsessive. It may generate some disordered eating habits down the track. And I don't want any of my clients or anyone who takes advice from me to feel like they have to cut food or any type of food out of their diets. And something that a lot of my clients are shocked with is if they come to me and they say, you know, I eat too much chocolate and I'm trying to be good and I don't eat it Monday to Friday and I only have it Saturday. I actually tell them to enjoy it throughout the week in a really sort of moderated way. So, you know, have a few squares of chocolate, let yourself enjoy it, take away that sort of value that you've given it and start seeing it just just neutrally. You know, it's just another food. And when you sort of remove that novelty around particular foods, it starts to become less special. And then you know that you can have it whenever you want where if you deprive yourself when you see chocolate you go oh my god I don't know when I'm going to be able to have this again so I may as well have the whole block but if you go hey I'm gonna have a little bit tonight because that's what I feel like but then I know that tomorrow night if I feel like a little bit too that's okay and it just creates a more I guess peaceful vibe between you and foods and it takes away that label of you know what's good and what's bad and all foods food every food has a different meaning of course we're trying to get more of those nourishing foods in where we can but it's okay to have those feel-good foods in there as well. Mm, That's good to hear. (laughs) And you also mentioned on your Instagram that you personally don't own scales and you don't weigh yourself. Why should we not focus on the number on the scales? I'm definitely not following this advice (laughs) at the moment. So it'd be good to hear what you have to say. Yeah, um, it it is a tricky one. And there's no judgment around, of course, anybody that does weigh themselves. I totally understand that for a lot of people, it's a bit of a peace of mind and it's a way to make sure that you're keeping on track with your health goals. And that's totally okay. But, you know, for me, the reason that I don't weigh myself or encourage my clients to weigh themselves is because a lot of people, I guess, correlate their weight with their worth. So they think that if there's a lower number on the scales, they're more worthy or they're going to be more happy or they're going to be more successful or whatever it might be. And if they see that number go up, they feel like they've failed or they associate it with sadness. And then 
that can generate a whole lot of you know, negative thoughts around food and body image and similar to what we were talking about before, those disordered eating patterns that can creep in if we're, if we're becoming too obsessed with the number. Another thing that I like to focus on as a practitioner is, is more so the way you feel. So what's your energy doing? How's your sleep? What's your skin looking like? How are you feeling at work? Are you implementing healthy behaviors? And, you know, when we implement healthier behaviors around food and exercise and mental health, the weight usually takes care of itself. And another thing with weight is there's a lot of different factors and determinants that can affect our weight that are out of our control. So for example, for women, especially we've got our hormones, which can make us retain more fluid at certain times of the month. And whether we've eaten or drank, of course, that's going to contribute to overall body weight. Whether we've exercised as well, that can create a shift in weight, especially if you're weighing yourself straight after a workout. Also got things like, you know, whether you've been to the toilet, um, what's your muscle mass doing, all of those sorts of things. So, so many things to consider. If you are wanting to keep track of your body composition and, you know, weighing yourself or tracking what's going on um, with your body, you know, if, if that's what you want to do, I would usually recommend people, you know, taking some before and after photos or measuring your waist circumference in, instead of just worrying about the number on the scales. Because like I mentioned, that can be dictated by so many different things and it can create lots of uh, triggers for, for, for many people. Mm. Well, this interview has made me feel a lot better about those few squares of chocolate that I have every night. <laughs> I'm a sweet tooth and I always feel bad about oh, it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Joe, you only have two squares? No, no, I don't. <laughs> half a block on a good day. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, it is half a block at once, but I'm going to try and do a few squares every night and that'll make me feel better. But I liked what you said about if you're not depriving yourself of something, you stop attaching weight to it. Like I've been doing this whole like late night Uber Eats ordering of McDonald's because like it's not allowed and and then so what I actually did instead this week I was like um I'm just gonna buy hash browns and keep them in the freezer because I love hash browns so now I'm having like two hash browns when I'm like thinking about it and I'm like I'm not gonna feel bad about it like I'm just gonna do it and it's and then I think you start to like lose that mental association that this equals bad exactly Mm. I think the media and I think just in general, we have associated certain foods as being bad. We have. And that mm. like association is like hard to break. Definitely. Yeah. And that's something I work on with my clients is that food guilt. Because if you put, you know, if you label chocolate as bad, every time you eat that, you're going to feel mm. bad about yourself. But if you just see it as chocolate, mm. then you're not going to get guilty. And, you know, that goes back to, to removing its, its moral value. This is so relevant right now. <laughs> I know we're all feeling it. <laughs> if you want to see more of Millie's tips, you can um, find her on Instagram at dietitian edition. Thanks for joining us today, Millie. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. So product we didn't know we needed, Hannah. So it's not really for me because I feel like we do so much for ourselves that I want to do a product that was kind of suitable for you, but also that your boyfriend could use. We did like a segment on Instagram stories where the boyfriend's like, what product does your boyfriend steal? And someone wrote back. I loved that segment. Oh my God, that was so funny. Yeah. (laughs) And someone wrote back and said, I recently found out that my boyfriend was using the ASAP cleansing gel on his entire body. Oh, my God. I'd break up with him for sure. I know. So it's like 40 something dollars. So he's using that as his uh, (laughs) body body wash. I know. And I've been using a cleanser that is so inoffensive to men. Like they'll like it's not in pink packaging. It's, Mm. you know, like it's if you're trying to get your boyfriend to share your cleanser by the sounds of it. 
that a lot of boyfriends are sharing the products that their girlfriends are using. But anyway, this one, it's only $15. So who cares if he's using it like all over his body? It's the Innisfree Green Tea Foam Cleanser. And the reason that I'm recommending this as a, a unisex product, is it because it smells like hot man? Oh, might have to try this one. It kind of <laughs> smells like shaving cream, but not, but it's like mm. a, you know, like a fresh scent though. Oh, everyone knows the shaving cream scent. What is that scent? Hot man. You said it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to me, it smells like hot man. So I think it would be suitable for you and your partner. It would last him. I can't even imagine because you only need like a pea-sized mm. amount. But we know that they use like a, a massive dollop in their palm when it says pea-sized amount. So, so it's a foam cleanser. <laughs> it has green tea in it, which is, is that antioxidant protection I don't, I don't know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> um it also I find that it doesn't strip the skin and to be honest with you as I was putting it on my face I was like it, it has this texture that I could actually just shave my face before my laser hair removal appointment yeah well, I'm actually looking at the ingredients now and to be honest like a lot of foaming cleansers will have SLS in them and this doesn't have SLS in it as far as I can see. I've swapped over to something a bit more gentle because my AHA cleanser is just like giving me grief. So it's $15. Bargain. What's yours? So mine is a Aspect product that I have been just trialing lately. I wasn't sure if it would bring anything to my life, but I thought I'm going to give it a whirl anyway because I like a lot of Aspect products. So this is the Super PD Serum. It's a protective antioxidant serum, but it's also really good for post-procedures. So on my skin, when it's feeling a bit uncomfortable and hot and irritated, it really helps to calm my skin down, especially if I've been doing, if I've done a little facial or something on myself. So it's got a combination of enzymes, antioxidants, amino acids, and hyaluronic acid in it. And so they all work together you know, how they do. And they help to even out skin tone and texture. It's great for preventing like aging concerns and pigmentation as well. And it's also just a really nice antioxidant serum in terms of texture. Like I find that some antioxidant serums can be a little bit hard to layer depending on what's in them. This layers really, really well over other things. It's more of like a milky, creamy texture, but in a lightweight kind of serum-y form. It's a bit hard to explain, but it goes over other products really well. I often um, layer it over another, like a niacinamide or something like that. And it just goes on really beautifully. I really, really like it. And to be honest, I think it's made a difference to like the tone and texture of my skin because I feel like I wake up the next day and it looks more even and like calmed down or something. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is, but it is meant to calm down redness. So I feel like that's making a difference for me. Perfect for you. Yeah, perfect for me. So anyone else that struggles with a bit of irritation and, and redness concerns, I feel like this would be a nice one in your routine, but it is a little bougie. So it's 135 bucks. So Hannah's giving you a bargain option yeah. today. I'm giving you a bougie option, but I do really like Aspect products. So I just thought I'd tell you guys about it. I'm still trying to find out what shaving cream smells like. <laughs> I'm like, really? This is going to kill me. Can someone please let us know what that smell is? Should I just email in as free? Yeah. Just say what's in it. Tell us what's in the fragrance. I need to know. Here we go. Sandalwood. Yes, it's sandalwood. It's sandalwood. It is 100%. Cedarwood, sandalwood. It's some wood. Yes. Yes. It's some kind of wood. Do you have anything you want to finish up on? 
I don't have anything to finish on because I don't have anything exciting happening that I can tell you about. So (laughs) this podcast will get a lot more exciting once Hannah and I are out of stage four restrictions. That's something that we can guarantee. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be going wild. Girls gone wild. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.